0: It's normal for people who were traumatized as kids to be drawn to people who are trouble. Now maybe you get kind of a brain fog when you meet someone you feel attracted to, or you rush into relationships, or you gloss over the signs that trying to get together with this person is a really bad idea. And it's normal to be confused when that happens, even when it's happened again and again in your life. It's like your brain shut down when you were making each destructive decisions. I know, because I've done it. And the illusion is that this string of unfortunate events just happened to you. When you're in that belief that you didn't choose these problems, they just sort of fell into your life. You're going to feel all the pain that your choices are causing you, but you're not going to be able to see the way out. You're not going to be able to see the true cause. When there's enough trauma and enough heartbreak that's happened to you, the need starts to get even bigger for the next relationship to work out. And if your behavior, that, that sort of brain-fogged behavior, marching into the trouble without realizing what's happening, if that continues as your need for it to work out grows greater and greater, now we're talking about an addiction. And it can drive you toward your worst thinking and right into that same unhappiness. And you won't even know how you got there. So my letter today is from a woman I'll call Clara and she writes, Dear Anna, growing up, my family dynamics weren't perfect, but not especially terrible. Notably, I have an intelligent, caring, but also domineering and intermittently dismissive father and supportive, but impractical mother, from whose romantic mistakes I learned more than by positive example. I'm using my fairy pencil. I'm going to circle some things I want to come back to right here. And I'm going to go ahead and read through, circle things, and we'll do a second reading, and I'll comment on what I hear and see if I can help. Okay. The bullying I frequently experienced as a child contributed the most to my CPTSD. A few healthy long-term romantic relationships aside, I've been prone to pining over emotionally abusive or unrequited love interests. My ability to spot red flags a mile away doesn't always stop me from falling for problematic men. At 41, the latest instance of this has me baffled. Maybe you can help me understand myself. For context, I should start with the earlier great love of my life, uh, we'll call him David. We met in my early 30s. I adored him with every fiber of my being. He was tender, sensitive, profound, passionate, emotionally present, and gorgeously handsome. The problem was that he was also a misfit member of an insular ultra-Orthodox Jewish sect. Our relationship was a secret he had to hide from his family and community for years, under threat of being shunned we had been deeply in love for two years and in practice living together before we decided we wanted to get married because i was half jewish on the wrong side a traumatic cultural rejection in itself the only way we could do so was if i went through a long difficult process of orthodox conversion which he encouraged me to take on it was during this process that david started an abusive cycle of suddenly ghosting me for months at a time I would plead with him to talk to me and be cruelly stonewalled. When I tried to confront him, his eyes would helplessly stare at me like frightening black holes, swallowing up his silence. He himself had crippling CPTSD from decades of brutal abuse by his father, and the secrecy surrounding our relationship meant I had no support to turn to from his own sphere. I started waking up to panic attacks every morning at 5 AM and would cry for hours. My hair fell out in clumps. Eventually he would return contrite, but still inarticulate future, fake me again. And the cycle would repeat, but his requirements were an ever moving goalpost. I desperately held onto the hope that converting would be the redemptive magic bullet. But when I finally finished my conversion, instead of marrying me, David discarded me one last time. Months later, I heard rumors that he had been cheating on me under horrifyingly sordid circumstances. The feeling of shock, betrayal, outrage, grief, abandonment, and despair was soul-shattering. As I slowly rebuilt my life for a few years, my occasional lover was, uh, in quotation marks, Juan, a friend in a sort of open marriage and, and infamous womanizer for whom I was the secret side chick. I was still in survival mode and starved for affection. The few times I briefly dated men who seemed like emotionally healthy candidates for a real relationship, as soon as they displayed any red flags, usually bait and switching on commitment, I cut things off and stuck to my boundaries. But I compartmentalized between Juan, an unavailable man of deplorable character. <laughs> I'm going to comment right now on the florid language. This is always a red flag for me in the person who's writing. Um, and potential life partners who were held to higher standards but falling short. Over the past few months, things were shifting for better. I was starting to feel confident and optimistic about the future and ready to let go of Juan. Then something happened that shook me to the core. There it is again. Juan and I are involved in a dance community which often hosts visiting artists from abroad. One such visitor was... Uh, in quotation marks, Miguel. When we first met, I was barely paying attention to him. I wrote him off as slightly eccentric despite his swarthy good looks. Okay, I do feel like I'm reading like cheap um, romance fiction. A little bit here with the language. So sometimes I worry that I'm being punked when I get these letters. This is one of those times. So the audience can help me figure that out. There's Something that doesn't feel real. It's either not real or so dissociated that the writer is not in a, real, a reality state. I also thought he was gay, so when he was friendly, my guard went down. You can imagine my confusion when around the third time we met, he blindsided me by very suddenly making an aggressive, intoxicated sexual advance at me. I froze over as he pushed me up against a wall and pulled my hair. I told him I didn't normally sleep with people with whom I don't have an emotional connection. He persisted, expressing exasperation that I had ignored him before. Glancing down the block, I observed with a twinge of bitterness Juan walking home with his wife and thought to myself, Well, what the heck, I'm curious. Our encounter ended up being consensual but awkward for both of us and rough-handed on his part. Because of the lack of emotional intimacy, I wasn't my normally passionate and joyful self either. I can't help but feel this is not a real letter. Okay. When he left in the morning, I was dazed. I didn't feel regret, but the pride my pride was hurt. I recognized that the whole thing had started out as a borderline assault, which I had then enabled. I also recognized how passion, coercion, validation, anger, longing, and rejection were all, were all becoming irrationally entangled in my brain. In the following days, my emotions did a backflip. Miguel now had my full attention, and his swagger and talent suddenly felt irresistible, despite myself. He poked at my wounds like crazy. I quickly realized he was another big, fat womanizer within a week he had pursued several of my other female friends and lost interest in me i clearly saw all the signs of immaturity macho arrogance manipulativeness opportunism and caddishness in him and i wanted him so bad at first my impulse was just to try to get one more night with him to do things over but my feelings for him became increasingly limerent over the next few months as he extended his stay I found myself in tears over the dismal timing of his advances and having once again been baited, undervalued, and rejected. Miguel was avoidant and testy with me at first, brushing aside my early attempts to speak frankly about what had happened between us but with increasing familiarity, we relaxed into a weird, mutually sarcastic sense of camaraderie, the kind you get when you have dirt on each other. We joked openly about our love-hate relationship, but ultimately I poured a lot of emotion, time, and energy into trying to win him over. As he flagrantly showered his attentions on other women, I rolled my eyes to hide my pain. A few weeks ago, Miguel successfully love-bombed yet another target from out of town and hastily moved in with her to another state. I felt a mix of sadness, sisterly compassion toward his very likable new girlfriend, and an existential terror that she, contrary to myself and all the others, would miraculously inspire real devotion in him. Intuitively, I knew his plans would fall apart within a month, and sure enough, a week after he left... I heard that he was already talking of returning. Update, he returned to town yesterday just for a few days, and I saw him at a dance event last night with a ring on his wedding finger. Probably a green card marriage. She says, as soon as he walked in, all my emotions came flooding back after a month of being more or less completely fine. I couldn't sleep until 8 a.m. this morning. I was so triggered and anxious, and it was very clearly a response that wasn't just about him, but all the trauma that came before him. I'm still baffled over the strength of my emotions. I know people sometimes send in a PS, and I felt this was relevant. So back to the original letter before the update that she sent. During the time he'd been away, I've started coming back down to earth. I feel like I've gone cold turkey from an addictive substance. But I'm still trying to figure out what the heck happened. Why Why did I respond so compulsively to this narcissistic oddball, just when things seem to be getting so much easier? It has everything to do with trauma, but what exactly? Was this some kind of fawning response? Thank you. Okay. Okay, Clara. Let me see if I can help. Um... As I've said, reading this, I've been a little bit skeptical the whole time, whether I was reading a real letter and I'm going to assume that it's real, but that you're gravely dissociated from yourself. And this is all sort of turning into a narrative in your mind. It reads like a narrative and not like a person's actual experience. And occasionally people doubt that any of the other letters are real, but they have, they are real um, in that I received them from people. And they have hallmarks of reality of that they have errors in them and they're, um, you know, this one is totally error-free. It's very edited. And maybe you're a writer. But I would just say the heavy use of adjectives and the florid language. I've seen this before. I've responded to letters before. And I have a red flag when I see florid language around relationships. And I'll tell you what it signals to me. Um, Love addiction. It's love addiction where things, the actual life experiences get exalted up into this um, very literary narrative about what everything means. And when you just say his swarthy good looks and stuff, that's like, that is a cliche from literature. And the characters in here do read like cliches. Um, and so I had to pause when I decided to, re- to, to accept this letter and go ahead and respond to it here on youtube and just say i'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt and uh, and you know i've seen this many times before i think you're in deep addiction and you're not really um, perceiving the the real layers of reality here it's playing like a story in your mind and that's how you're describing it Um, so some of the things i've noticed that seem quite checked out or maybe you know very very driven by your internal needs and your internal narrative is um this idea you go a few healthy long-term romantic relationships aside they're like a side, but you're prone to pining over emotionally abusive and unrequited love interests. So when you describe this it does it sounds terrible. It sounds like an advanced addiction. it sounds like it's tearing you down. it sounds like it's progressive like addictions are you know they, they get worse over time, not better if you're not in recovery. And you're 41. And I think that's a common age maybe that people sort of get to a crisis point of like wow this really isn't going to turn into true love these this pattern right and I think that's what you want it hasn't been clearly articulated that what you want is to settle down with somebody what i can feel in your letter is this um what you're in love with is this feeling of great drama of getting swept off your feet and these men who are wildly different and basically impossible culturally impossible like rarely do people bridge those cultural gaps of like oh he's he's in an ultra-orthodox jewish sect i just wanted to point out that converting when you want to marry somebody Um, is a very huge decision. Marrying somebody is a huge decision and then converting to an orthodox religion for their sake is a huge life-altering decision. And I wasn't hearing any sort of personal motivation except trying to get the man in here. And I'm not putting you down. I'm just saying this is a sign of like being very driven by an addiction and being checked out, dissociated from the gravity of your decisions, right? So you say you got very, you know, you had panic attacks, your hair fell out, he'd come back contrite. You say he was future faking you again, but you know, the minute there, I don't think it's possible to future fake somebody once you've ghosted them for a long period of time, that that's not a, that's no longer a relationship. You know, that's some, it's, I'm gonna be very harsh here because I would like you to wake up and just sort of see the, the destructive decisions here that you're making but sort of dressing them up as a great romance with with a story of how, and then it was so strong. But this is a pattern for an addictive relationship yeah he just wouldn't even deal with you abusive cycle of ghosting you for months at a time while you were converting to his religion to marry him i'm just like if i'd been in your life i would have said wake up clara wake up there is no relationship and if he got back in touch at times i would say this is the part that's the hardest thing to say it's a booty call it's a booty call so you were sort of describing him as some sort of pathological person perhaps But if you're hooked in and your whole life, you're actually like changing your whole religious beliefs for somebody you consider to be crazy and pathological and a narcissist, I question you. I question you and what drove you to do that. And I'm not like... I'm very little interested in who these characters are who were such jerks. It's like that question has been answered. The question is, what's going on that you're compelled to keep going into these horrible, horrible situations and thinking it's going to go better. So you slowly rebuilt your life and your occasional lover was this guy Juan he was sort of in an open marriage. So right there, I can tell your life isn't getting back together because when you have an occasional lover who is sort of in an open marriage, then he's sort of cheating on his wife and you're sort of like, uh, you know, harming another person too and harming a a family structure. And you're saying uh, you were the secret side chick. Um, You know, that's not like a cute detail. That is a terrible thing. That's a terrible situation for your life and anybody who's in it like I'm here to be like like it's a drowning woman you know get out of the water get out of the water let's get you onto the raft right away do not be the side chick so you are still in survival mode and starve for affection I get it um sometimes you briefly dated men who seemed emotionally healthy candidates for a real relationship as soon as they displayed any red flags usually bait and switching on commitment so i was curious about that because commitment takes like a year and a half to demonstrate so i i suspect that you they could say anything at the beginning and then you thought they tricked you if they said oh yeah i'll be committed to you future faking but i'm going to put it on you you're 41 And I want you to just, you know, I'm going to suggest a whole lot of boundaries to you about getting real about some things. Nobody can future fake you if you actually follow a realistic timeline of getting to know somebody before you're in a relationship with them, before you're expecting any kind of commitment from them, before you're having sex with them. All right, that's how it's done. You thought you had emotionally healthy guys, but then they would bait and switch on commitment, and you would cut things off and stick to your boundaries. I don't know what your boundaries were, um, but I compartmentalized between Juan, an unavailable man of deplorable character. That florid language right there, I don't know, it, sound, just, it doesn't feel uh, like it's coming from your heart. And potential life partners who were held to higher standards, but falling short. So you compartmentalized, but you know, potential life partners held to higher standards. You're not with them now, so whatever happened there, that wasn't really... You know, I just don't think anybody who's having relationships with people of deplorable character and being the side chick and everything, That's pretty much gonna change your energy so that it's virtually impossible to form a healthy relationship with anybody. People would sense that in you or outright find out the facts about what you were actually doing with your life and they would flee, healthy people would. So I want you to be straight about that. You can't really play it both ways. Like I'm gonna get a healthy person, but I'm gonna just have this huge addictive mess of people and men and you know complications and stuff. I was starting to feel confident and optimistic about the future and ready to let go of one. I also, here's another high standard I want to put in front of you. Getting ready to let go of somebody is not healthy. You're not in a healthy state. You're just somebody who's in addiction right now. And I'm talking as somebody like, I've had um, partners who are addicted to heroin, and they're always saying they're about, and they mean it. They're going to get off tomorrow. They mean it. But it means nothing. The only thing that means anything is when people are off it for a very long time. And so um, the fact that you need somebody who you consider deplorable, you know, that you need somebody in your life for occasional, secret, hurt other people's sex, um, you're in a bad state. That's a very bad spiritual and emotional state right there. And then something happened that shook me to the core. Um, I'm not surprised. So you, you're sort of presenting this as, I was almost going to leave this terrible way of life, but then something bad happened. I'm like, of course it did when we're engaged in that kind of thing and again i speak from my own experience when you're engaged in destructive sexual and emotional and romantic behavior addictive behavior bad things happen in your life very bad things i think it's right up there with like hardcore drugs that it functions as a portal for evil getting into your life it just does really bad things can get into your life when you're behaving this way. And turning the ship having that exorcism in your life is going to take a very big motion of prayer and willingness to go to any lengths to make a change. It's not just going to come land on you because of a thought that you have. The behavior has to stop. The behavior has to stop. So then you met this other guy and he was aggressive with you. You say it was like an assault but you got into it with him. Um, So that sounds to me like your addiction progressing to liking uh, stuff that's borderline assault and being drawn in erotically to that. And then the emotional abandonment and the hurt and all of that, like it's a eroticization of rejection aggression and abandonment and it's a very very dangerous eroticization. it can lead to very bad things and that's why i'm being so stern with you claire i'm being so stern with you i think you're in danger you're right up at the red line of things really losing control here So then you saw Juan going off with his wife. This is like the classic story of an addict. I was getting worse and worse. I was going for harder drugs. I looked back to my last addiction fondly, wistfully, you know, um, because of the lack of emotional intimacy in that relationship, you weren't very joyful. No, of course not. When you're driven by addiction, it's freaking miserable. You know, you keep chasing... You keep chasing like an emotional and psychic high of like, oh, this is the greatest thing. This is so amazing. And it always, always lets you down. And the way it lets you down is harder and harder every time. It is an addiction. So then he left. You were dazed. You weren't regret. You didn't regret, but your pride was hurt. The whole thing started. Yeah. You were just a bunch of adjectives, fancy language when you use these fancy languages as if it's a story, as if it's a novel, you're dissociating from the story or you're just messing with me, you know, that this is just fake. This is somebody just testing if I really answer people. (laughs) Yeah, it's weird. I have this uneasy feeling about this letter. So when everybody comments, you can tell me what you think, but we're gonna try to stay kind to the letter writer because let's assume it's real. And she's just in such a state of dissociation that it's all playing like a novel. It's a depersonalization. In the following days, my emotions did a backflip. I clearly saw the signs of macho arrogance, manipulativeness, opportunism, and I wanted him so bad. So that's what I mean. There it is. At first, you just want one more night to do things over. That is such an addict thought. I just need it one more time. But it it got worse. It got limerent. Yes. So limerence, limerence doesn't always, yeah, yeah, it's limerence. But this is more, this is limerence and a, a pretty destructive addiction. This is limerence plus, plus love addiction. I don't know where you draw the line. That's probably a very, you know, even the, ec- the limited number of people who are experts in this. I would just say this is limerence turning quite dark, relaxed into this thing that was, is like a mutually, a love-hate relationship, ugh. And then he successfully love-bombed yet another target from out of town, so what I'm noticing here is you um, see him as having all the power and he just successfully love-bombed you. He successfully love-bombed somebody else. And you're failing to see your own agency that you successfully sex-bombed him, that you successfully went through a series of people drawing them into a relationship that wasn't viable. And sure, maybe they wanted it. Maybe they loved it. Maybe that's what they do. But you have got to see your own agency here that you will not be involved with people like this if you can begin to be real with yourself to, have to recover that part of yourself that checks out when you're near something like this. Like, oh, you know, a dangerous man. You didn't talk about your past. But I'm guessing, you know, there's probably some very... Uh, lack of boundaries, lack of seeing you as a real person. Um, something that led you to idealize these dangerous fellows. And, and then fantasize that you have no agency over the whole thing. That it's just carrying you away. And I, I can understand the appeal of that fantasy. It takes the pressure off. It's kind of like, I just don't know what's getting here. But you stay in the fantasy that somehow it's going to turn around. And I can just guarantee you there is no good outcome on this path, not with these men, not with these type of men, not with you operating as you are with, with no agency and sort of putting this grandiose language on everything, as if it's really interesting and complicated when it's just, you know, pretty grim. So he went off with some woman. He came back. The other guy had a ring on his finger, you know, all of this, this story from the outside, it's like, yeah, whatever. Whatever, you've got yourself mixed up. Um, You're not the first person I've met of uh, a woman who gets involved with men who are culturally different and they have to act as interpreters for them and sort of, you know, there's something about men from another culture when if you're doing that as a pattern, there's something going on. There's some trauma wound going on. I think it's totally possible for any of us to fall in love with somebody from another culture, but when it's always from another culture... hmm. You know, what is that? And not even the same culture. So um, you started coming back down to earth. You're saying, I know trauma has something to do with this. And I'm sure it does. But what I want to bring your attention to is regardless of what happened to you, the one thing that matters is that you get real with yourself about what you're experiencing right now, the choices that you're making right now. And I'm just going to, you know, you asked me, right? You're like, is this some kind of fawning response? No, it's a, it's an addict response. It's like a... Um, it's you know you could, I, I'm sure there's all kinds of elements of fight flight freeze fawn there's so many um, colors in all of this but it's a kind of madness it's an it's a obsession with an uh, intoxicating feeling. It's an obsession with an intoxicating feeling that is used to escape. That's what an addiction is. And the feeling of when you can't get that feeling, it starts to produce increasing anxiety, a sense of emptiness and depression. And you're going to have to find a worthy substitute to be able to withstand the feeling of withdrawal. But withdrawal is coming. You keep trying to do withdrawal, but somebody comes along and you haven't yet reckoned with reality. So here's what I'm going to recommend quite straightforwardly, get into recovery. There are 12-step programs for this. There are professionals who treat it, but assuming most people who have addictions like this don't have money because that's what addiction does to your life. Um, 12-step programs, Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous, uh, and especially for Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous meetings that are for women only, not with men. I'll just say, tell you frankly, like going to sex and love addicts anonymous meetings with with people who you might be attracted to is a slippery slope. And especially when, yeah, the people might be back attracted to you and you end up with some sort of like voodoo radar of, you know, pinging each other's addictive buttons. And so, you know, just staying with people where it can be all about recovery and friendship and support and getting real with each other The two things that I recommend to everybody who's trying to recover from any kind of trauma driven life problem is that you need good tools and you need support. So my program has great tools. You know, you certainly would be welcome to come in here, but I do think, I do think it would be best for you to be specifically in the context of love addiction and women who are love addicted and start to hear their stories and start to hear how you're not alone how there's great similarities. Your story has so many classic earmarks. You're going to hear it in so many other women's experience. You're going to hear from women who have a lot of recovery down the line. Like what, how did all that turn out? What did they actually do to get better? And that is a very, very powerful thing to do. If you have the cojones, okay? If you have the nerve to go be honest with other people about what's been going on, you know, and let them know you, let them be in your life. Go find... The person who has what you want and not just like the easier, softer way person of like they have what I want and that they still get to see all kinds of, you know, addictive partners. But somebody who actually like has what has the end goal that you want to be peaceful, happy, perhaps in a relationship, although I would say great sponsors um, don't have to be in a relationship. They don't have to be demonstrating that in their life. Maybe they will in the future, maybe they won't. What What you need is somebody who knows how to work the 12 steps, who knows how to work a really rigorous 12 step program and can show you how to do it. And then I would suggest asking them if they will sponsor you and if they say yes, do what they instruct. You can always quit, but without resistance, just follow their instructions. The thing about 12 step sponsors, I've had them, I've been one, is not everything they're saying will make sense in the beginning. And when your, your life is really, really unmanageable, as they say in 12-step recovery, it's very easy to be resistant. I, I used to have terrible trouble with authority. and I'd be like, don't tell me what to do. Oh, I'm not going to do that. And I also had reservations about not wanting to um, share really all my deep, dark thoughts about everything. I wanted to keep parts of my life private and away from criticism because i instinctively knew that there was just stuff that was going on in me and in my life and the way i was acting and handling people i knew that i was going to be called out on it and i didn't want to be i wanted i wanted to just have that for a while and i just had the experience and if you want to learn from my experience you can (laughs) that if you you can hold out all you want you have a gas pedal and a brake pedal when you're healing from your trauma and from your addiction and as much as you want to, you can step on the ga- on the on the brake, <laughs> but as much as you step on the brake, you're not going to go forward. And so sometimes going forward feels so scary, you just feel like you have to. But if you really want to change, if you really want things to be different, just like c- go in, sit all the way down, hang out with people, and find out how you do this thing called recovery, and then take all the help you can get because it takes a lot of help. It takes a lot of willingness and personal honesty to do it. So I wanted to take your letter because I think it's an example of somebody who is in active love addiction and isn't really, you know, is just sort of wondering like, why is this happening? And I'm hoping this is very helpful to a lot of people who are hearing this today. Thank you so much for listening. If you love my content,